Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Uh, a couple of things I think I, I need to address today before I jump into the message. One is just to be sure you remember next week we're having one worship service. Now that has me worried a little bit right now because we've got about 296 sitting in here. Uh, in the first service, we had 142, I think, in the first service. Uh, but I promise you, if you'll come back next week, even though we're doing one service at 1030, and the reason we're doing it, we're having a celebration service, we're going to have some testimonies, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and we're going up and having a meal that's catered in to celebrate us paying off a, a building that we used to begin with before we moved here. Uh, and, and then to be trying to use that to pay this off. Uh, and all. So it's a good celebration time. I already have had church people tell me if I need to go out and sit out in the hallway and listen, I will. You know, so please come back uh, next week. We'd love to have you here. Uh, second thing that I need to address uh, is, is this. Some of you are wondering why I don't have a motorcycle t-shirt and jeans on. Uh, because you've already, uh, you've already asked me about it, and, and you're wondering about what is this thing uh, up here uh, too, because I don't want to use a table and a chair. Well, the, the, the first one is uh, where I work part-time at the Baptist State Convention. There's a church in Hickory that was doing a relaunch today. And originally, I was supposed to leave after the first service, go there, do a welcome from the Baptist State Convention church planning team to that congregation, and get back here. But this morning, I noticed on the GPS when I plugged it in, because of a road being worked on in Hickory, it was going to take 20 minutes there, 20 minutes back. So I had to call and apologize and say I can't come. Uh, so had it not been for that, I wouldn't be dressed like this with a little church planning logo. Uh, this is just something we had the chance to pick up at a good price recently. Sometimes I'll use it, sometimes I won't. But when we have guest speakers come in and, uh, and they kind of look like, where's the pulpit at? You know, especially if I show them a table and a chair uh, and everything. So that kind of explains this. Uh, are you ready for the Easter stuff now? And, uh, and all, okay. Uh, and it will not sound much like an Easter message to you to begin with. We will get there, but it'll take a few minutes for us to get there. We've been doing a series entitled Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible, Why You Can Believe in the Bible. And uh, today we're finishing up the series, which I think is really an opportune time for us to do so, uh, because the topic today is going to be a personal reason to believe the Bible. The Bible, because it tells us about Jesus and what he did for us, that the Bible can change our life. Some of you in your small groups have been reading a book that had various topics uh, about why you should trust the Bible. For me, this is the most important reason. But you see, for a secular world, they don't accept the fact that you and I would say, well, I believe the Bible because it changed my life. Or for you to say, you believe the Bible because it changed your life. So that's why we took time to talk about a logical reason, how how the Bible gives a testimony of itself being the Word of God uh, some 1,500 times. We talked about historical reasons as we looked at archaeology and and how that's proven the Bible, uh, too. Uh, through through um, uh, the discoveries that have been made. Uh, we looked at a prophetical reason when we look at uh, passages of Scripture that have very, very specific prophecies, uh, given in some cases hundreds of years before they came about, and then they come about exactly like God said uh, they would take place. That's a reason why you ought to believe the Bible. That ought to be your confidence in the truth of God's Word. Uh, Jesus, number four, Christological reason, Jesus believed the Old Testament. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. So if he believed it, we need to believe it, 
And if we don't, we're really attacking who Jesus is and the deity of, of Jesus. Scientific reason is the one that caught people off guard, maybe, because we've been so taught by our culture that science has disproved the Bible. My estimation of it, the opposite is true. Because when you look at the specifics of our creation and uh, even our solar system, our earth and things like that, that didn't happen by mistake. That didn't happen by accident. I think that shouts out that there's a, a creator that made everything. And then we talked about a providential reason. That simply means that God himself superintended the scriptures, that he brought together the canon of scriptures, gave people the confidence that it was the word of God. And that's how we have this in our hands today that we call the Bible. But like I said, I think the personal reason is the most important thing. And I think everything we've talked about in this series to this point has been working toward this day. And that's why I think it's an opportune time on Easter for us to think about this, a personal reason, because God's Word can change our lives. Uh, we, we can see a lot of neat things out in creation. Uh, we can go out and, and, and look at things in history and prophecy and uh, the archaeological finds and, and things like that. But where I find that God loved me so supremely, He sent His Son to live a sinless life and grow up and willingly go to a cross and be nailed to a cross and suffer and die for me and shed his blood as payment for my sin. And then he took his life back up on the third day to prove he had accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished for our salvation. I read that here. That's where I find out about this. So that's why this is an important reason to believe the Bible, a personal reason, because the, the Word of God can change our Lives. It will change our lives if we will apply it to our lives. I hope by this point, especially if you've been here each and every day of, uh, of this series, I hope you can say, yes, I believe the Bible. And I believe the Bible for all those reasons that we've talked about. But I hope you'll take, be sure you've taken this step, and that is that you're applying it to your life. And there's a personal reason you believe the Bible, because it has changed your life. And if you can't say that, I hope you'll be able to say it before you leave today. Jeremiah is going to be a send-off point for us. In Jeremiah uh, 23, verse 29, the Bible says this, It is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. Now, I'm not going to give like an exposition of that or anything, but basically what uh, God is saying there through the pen of Jeremiah, he's just saying, my word's powerful. And it is. His word is powerful. It changes our lives. It changes our eternal destinies when it, we allow it to cause us to have faith in Jesus. A quote that, that Lutzer made in his book on seven reasons why you can trust the Bible is this. He, he said, your respect for God can be measured by your respect for the Bible. We, we don't worship the Bible. We worship God. But think about it in these terms. Let me kind of illustrate it. Well, we who have been parents... When we would tell our children something and they would just totally ignore what we have said, did not that make you feel disrespected as a parent also? Because you want them to listen to what you say. Well, well imagine God then. God, the creator of all the universe. The God that's holy, holy, holy. We're told in, in, in Revelations. The God that created all things, a self-existent, eternal being, God. We ought to listen to what he says. We ought to apply it to our lives, and when we fail to do so, it's like we're, we're disrespecting who He is. So at the beginning of this message, I want to ask you a question that we'll come back to at the end of it. Have you allowed the Bible to change your life? Have you personally, yourself, 
allow the Bible to change your life. In the message, we're going to use an analogy today that follows along these lines. It's like you go to the doctor, and the doctor gives you a diagnosis, and then maybe the doctor needs to do some exploratory surgery, and then you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to allow the doctor to go and do all that surgery and let him fix you up and and, and make you whole uh, again. That's the analogy that we're going to follow as we look at uh, this topic today, reasons why we ought to believe the Bible. So that brings up this first question. Are you willing to listen to God's diagnosis? Or are you willing to listen to what God says about you, the diagnosis that he makes about you? We are living in a day and time, and I've alluded to this in this series already, but we're living in a day and time where people don't want to hear anything negative, and they don't want to hear anything maybe they disagree with. Uh, that's being evident as you watch the news on some of the college campuses where there are some colleges in America, the students are really, really pushing for the college campus to be a safe zone. In other words, what they're saying is, please don't tell me anything that I don't agree with. Don't tell me anything that might hurt my feelings. And we live in a culture today that that's the way people view things. They they don't want to hear anything negative or anything they disagree with, especially they don't want to hear anything negative about themselves. We, We live in a time today when people wish to make excuses for their faults or their mistakes, and that's even if they're willing to admit that they have faults and mistakes. And God forbid if anyone in this day and time brings up the word we ought to be using, the word sin. Because it's not just a fault. And it's not just a mistake. The Bible deals with a sin issue. No one in this day and time likes to be corrected about their actions. No, no, no one uh, wants to do what they're told to do. It's like people having anything and everything goes mentality. I allude to it like this sometimes. I think we live in a time when people have itch and ear syndrome. And what the itch and ear syndrome is, we can find uh, here in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. Paul is writing to Timothy, who he is mentoring, by the way, to be a minister, to be a pastor. And he said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having the itch and ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, I hate to say this about our world and our culture, but I think that describes us. I think the very reason we're doing series like Reasons Why You Believe the Bible is because people have started believing myths instead of believing the Word of God. They they will choose to believe anything before they want to believe the Bible. I want you to notice something Paul did not tell Timothy. He did not tell Timothy to accommodate their itching ears. He did not tell them or tell Timothy to tell them only what they wanted to hear. Instead, he told Timothy to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to be ready to preach the word. He told Timothy to use it to reprove and rebuke, and people don't like that. But it also exhorts us if we'll allow the Bible to do that. It'll give us the exhortation that we need. The problem is 
We live in a culture where people don't want this to be true because if this is true, that means there's a creator. If this is true, that means that they have to account to him one day. And that's why they don't want to admit that the Bible's true. They want to, don't want to believe that there, in fact, is a creator. They just want their ears tickled. If you go to the doctor because you're feeling really bad, sick, do you want the doctor to make the right diagnosis? Do you want the doctor to tell you the truth about what's wrong with you? Or would you rather have the doctor just pat you on the back and say, hey, you're okay, even though he knows you're sick and dying? Which would you want? I I want the doctor to tell me the truth, even though I don't like what he tells me sometimes. About, I don't know, five or six years ago, Becky keeps up with things like that better than me. I was told that I had type 2 diabetes that I had developed that. I I didn't like hearing that, but I couldn't just ignore it. I I could not act like that it it wasn't so, that it it wasn't true. I I had to listen to what was was being said. When I turned 40, and if some of you are 39, I'm going to worry you a little bit right now. When I turned 40, it seemed like everything started falling apart. And, uh, and I had to have knee surgery uh, because fluid was building up in it. And the, the first time I went to see the doctor, he drew off, I think, 90-some cc's of fluid. And, man, instantly my knee felt better. Problem was, two weeks later, he drew off 116 cc's. And, and he had to look at it a little bit closer. We'll get to that in a minute. He had to kind of do some exploratory surgery. He had to look at it a little bit closer before he could go in and fix the cartilage and and things that had taken place. I didn't enjoy going through that, but I'd rather a doctor tell me the truth. Would you not rather the doctor tell you the truth? Here's God's diagnosis. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. You, me, Billy Graham, everybody. We're all screwed up. We're all sinners. We all, we all fall short. God's diagnosis is this. No one is righteous and no one does good. If you showed up this morning thinking that you're okay and you're right just by yourself, then what you believe goes exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. If you showed up feeling like that you're a good person, the problem that you have is this. You're comparing your life to other people instead of comparing your life to Jesus. (laughs) Instead of seeing yourself the way God sees you. Because God says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And God's diagnosis is also this. You can't fix it yourself. There's no way you can fix it yourself. A lot of people in this day and time think, well, if I'll just be good enough, which is impossible, if I'll just work my way to heaven by obeying the commandments, then I'll be okay and I don't really need to trust in Jesus. But the Bible says this, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified. No one will be made just and right before God by obeying the law. And here's why. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God didn't ever give us the law for us to look at it and read it and think, oh, if I do this, I'll build my own stairway to heaven somehow. No, what he did was give us the law to where when we read it, we'll think, man, I'm screwed up. I, I do need grace. I do need mercy. I, I, I do need to trust in Jesus. Thank God that he died on the cross for my sins because I can't 
fix it myself. So that's God's diagnosis. Second question today is this. Are, are you ready for God to perform some spiritual surgery? Are you ready for God to perform some spiritual surgery on your life? If you've been to see the doctor and he tells you, well, I need to do some exploratory surgery. I need to look a little bit closer to find out exactly what's wrong. Are you going to ignore that or are you going to lay down on the table and let him do that exploratory surgery so he can see exactly what's wrong? You'll see why I came up with this analogy here in Hebrews 4, and this is where we'll be living in Hebrews 4, the the rest of the message. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, referring to God, to whom we must give an account. We've got a picture of the Bible being something that exposes us and cuts us. Mark Twain said this one time. He said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. I can identify with that. Can you? Too too many people want to say, well, I need to understand this stuff in prophecy. Get me over here and tell me all this stuff in prophecy. And and you've got things here that you know clearly he's told you. You just don't like what he's told you and you're not doing it. God's word, according to Hebrews, is kind of like a surgical instrument. It's like a surgical instrument. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That phrase, the word of God is, is living or alive or quick, depending on your translations, just simply means that God's word is, is alive. It's lively. It's more than just a book. It, it, it's God's words on pages that, that he superintended, that he guided for men to, to write down for us. God's word is, is alive and and, and we read the little word and in their English language, don't you think about it. In the Greek, it, it gives a, a cumulative force. And it's not just alive. It's not just living. It's also active. We, we get our English word energy from the word that, that's translated here as being active. And, and it means this. It means God's word is powerful, operative, effectual. It, some of the root words that it's built on means in a fixed position, slash to work toll, in effort or in occupation. In other words, the Bible will do what it's supposed to do. The Bible will keep doing what it's supposed to do. The Bible has a task to perform, and it will do it in a fixed position. The Bible has a job to perform, and it will do it always. If we will just allow the Word of God to do that in in our lives, it will do what it's made to do. It will be active. It will give the, the energy of the, for life that we need if we'll just apply it to our lives. And it says it's, it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's kind of an interesting phrase because it means to cut in a comprehensive or decisive manner as if by a single stroke. It speaks of a, of a more keen stroke. It's kind of a medical term. It's talking about something being dissected. So you, you want it to be a specific 
stroke, uh, the right type of cut that's taking place. In other words, it's, it's not just someone coming up and, 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 and hacking and cutting you all over. There's an advertisement on TV right now that, uh, I forgot the name of the, the website, but it's where you try and sell things, let go or something like that. You try and sell things on, on uh, line. And this particular advertisement shows a doctor getting ready to do surgery. And as he gets down here with a scalpel, all of a sudden his hand starts doing like this. That's not the kind of doctor I want. Not if he's cutting me with a scalpel. And then it pulls back and the nurse is leaning over and she said, I think it's time for you to sell that ab thing. And, and there's this thing that they had convinced people years ago, if you order and buy a strap and on, turn it on, it'll make you have abs because it just shakes you all the time. <laughs> and she's saying it's time to sell it. You see, that, that, was, that was making him do this with a scalpel. If I, if I go to a doctor and he's coming at me to make the cut like that, I, I think I'm going to say, wait, wait, doc, I, let's do this another day. And then I'm going to find a different doctor. Because you want the cut to be a precise cut. You want it to be a keen stroke, not, not just being hacked by it. And that's what God's Word will do. God, God's Word will do effectually exactly what we needed to do in our lives. And you see, we're different. We're wired differently. We have different struggles. So God's Word may need to cut me in a different way than it cuts you. But, but I need to allow the Bible to cut me. And when I allow the Holy Spirit to use it in my life, it will do that keen stroke in, in, in our lives. That specific stroke that needs to take place if we'll just allow the Bible to do that. And as a side lesson, we need to learn also, I think, as believers. We ourselves need to make keen strokes with the Bible. We don't need to come up and just hack people with the Bible. We don't need just to beat people over the head with the Bible. We, we need to be sensitive as we use the Bible that we're using in the, in, in the way that, that, that the Holy Spirit can actually use it. Instead of just trying to offend people and blow people off and beat them over the head with the Bible. Number two, surgery also requires an incision. You need an instrument, and God's Word is that sharp instrument. But we also needed to make an, an, an incision. It's like a sword, but we also need to make an incision. That's what you use that type of weapon for. In Hebrews 4.12, the middle part of the verse says, Piercing to the division of the soul of the spirit of joints and marrow. Luther made an interesting statement in the chapter this week in his book, some of you that are studying it in your small groups. He said this, Our problem is we want vitamins, not a knife. I think that describes our culture pretty good. I mean, think about that illustration that he's making. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, Well, you can take these vitamins and feel better. Or you can go under the knife and really get fixed. A lot of people are going to choose, just give me the vitamins. Because we don't like the knife. We, we don't like being cut by the, by the truth. Just tell us what we want to hear. Just give us some vitamins. Just help our itchy ears. Don't tell us anything that we don't like. Don't tell us anything that we don't agree with. Piercing to the division of soul, of spirit, of joints and marrow. 
The word piercing means it can reach or penetrate through. It, it can arrive or, or be competent or ample or fit. In other words, God's, God's word can do that in various ways. God's word can reach down into the depths of, of my heart and expose sin. But you know what? God's word can reach down into my hurts too. And heal hurts that I have in my life. If I'll just allow it to, if I'll just apply it to my life. It's competent to do what needs to be done in our lives. The word division literally means separation or distribution, but he's not talking about the soul and the spirit being divided. What the phrase really means is this. God's word can pierce through both the soul and the spirit. It can get to the heart of the matter is another way of putting that. God's word can get to the heart of the problem. Probably if we had time this morning, many of you could stand up and give a testimony and say, yeah, the Bible did that for me. You know, it, it's done it for me many times. And a lot of times I didn't like the way it cut me. A lot of times it wasn't fun going through it, but but God's word got to the heart of the problem. It it cut through soul and spirit. It got to where it needed to be. Joints and and marrow, it's not talking about dividing joints and marrow. Number one, if you know anything about the human body, the the, the joints and the sinews and the ligaments and everything there, that's not connected to marrow. The marrow is inside the bone. What he's saying there in that is this. God's word is so powerful, it can cut through both the joints and the bone. It can cut all the way to the heart of the problem. It can cut all the way where it needs to. It can cut all the way into the, into the marrow. God's word cuts through joints, bone, exposing the marrow. It exposes things about us, and that's what we don't like. Being cut can hurt. But being cut can heal also. If you go to the doctor and the, the doctor says, you've got something in you I need to cut out. Yes, that incision hurts. I know you're under anesthesia in this day and time you don't feel it, but it's going to hurt some on the other side. But not only can it cut you and hurt you, the scalpel when the doctor's doing it, once he gets inside, he removes that tumor or whatever it is he's needing to remove. That same type of cutting can also help heal. And that's true of the Bible. The Bible will hurt us a lot of times. It will cut us. We, it, might, it might not be fun. We won't like what it reveals about us and what it's saying. But the Bible can, can also heal us. The Bible can be like a scalpel that cuts us, exposes us, but can also give the healing cut and remove that cancer of sin out of our lives if we'll allow it to do that. God's word is a surgical instrument. God's word, when it performs surgery on us, it's like an incision. It, it, it cuts us. But spiritual surgery also involves inspection. In other words, the doctor's doing exploratory surgery. He cuts and he's inspecting. He's looking around inside that open wound, inside open cavity. And I think maybe this might be the part that we hate the worst when it comes to the Bible. We don't like being inspected by anybody. We don't like being exposed. We don't like the dark recesses of our soul being laid bare before God or anybody else. We we don't like that inspection to take place. Hebrews verse 12 and on through verse 13 goes on and it says... And discerning the thoughts, the intentions of the heart, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him 
to whom we must give an account. Let me run through there just a, a few explanations of those words that, that were used in the original Greek New Testament. When, when he used the word discerning, it, it means God's word is decisive, it's critical, it, it will discriminate, it's a discerner. It was even used to talk about sifting something out. So God's word will sift out and analyze the, the, the evidence. The root word that it's built on means to judge, to distinguish, to decide, to hand down a decision, to, to try like a judge does when you're on trial. That's what God's word will do for us. It, it discerns our thoughts, our, our deliberations, what we ponder, what we mull over in our minds, our reflections, what we keep on our minds. God, God's word will also expose the intentions of our heart. That, that moral understanding in, in, in a fixed position uh, that we think about all the time, whatever it is that maybe you struggle with the most, I think that might be what the Bible's alluding to there. The intentions that you have in your heart that you think you've hidden from everybody else, but you tend to think about it and you reflect upon it a whole lot. Guess what? God's Word exposes that. If you'll allow it to, it'll help you to see that you have a problem in those areas. It goes right into the midst of your being. That's what the, the heart speaks of. It tells us there in, in, verse, in verse 13 that no creature absolutely, it uses an absolute negative there in the Greek, absolutely no created thing it is hidden, is not apparent before God. It is hidden in the dark where God doesn't see because He looks at us. The, the word sight means His face is is upon us and he's gazing at us with a fixed position with wide open eyes is what the word in the Greek means. The, the stuff that you think you're hiding that you get away with, God knows about it. There are things that I might used to be able to get away with without my mama knowing about it, maybe in a dark alley or something like that. But then later on in life, I discovered God always saw it. God always sees, God always knows. And we can't, we can't hide it from him. We're, we're laid naked before the sight of God. We're, we're absolutely nude is what the word means. And the word for exposed is kind of an interesting word because it means to seize by the throat or by the neck in order to expose a victim's throat to attack. It's like a battle type turn taking place and someone grabs you and they peels your head back or where they can get to your neck to, to attack you. That's a strong picture that the Bible has given us that God's word will expose us like that. that. That God's word will lay us completely, totally naked spiritually before God. And you see, that's the part we don't really like. We don't like to think of God knowing everything. We don't like to think of God seeing everything. We don't like to be exposed before others. We like to keep stuff hid. We think no one knows about it. The problem is God does. We, we don't want anyone looking around inside of our, our lives. We hate the idea of being exposed before God's sight, being made naked spiritually before Him, to whom we have to give an account, the Bible says. One day we'll have to give an account to God. And that's why I think people are putting in a last-ditch effort in, in this world today to say, that's not the Bible, it's just a book. There's not really a God. We just came about through evolution. And, and they will try and try and teach that. But if you'll be honest and if you'll look at the facts today, you'll discover it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it takes to believe that there's a God that made everything. 
But our culture wants to have all these other options because people do not want to be accountable to a creator. People do not want to be accountable to what the Bible has to say. So if we can just act like it's not true, if we can ignore it, if we can ignore the reality of of a God, then maybe we don't have to deal with God's word cutting us open and exposing us. People don't want to be accountable to God. They, they put a last-ditch effort to kind of keep that word exposure from being true in their life, where it meant to pull your head back and expose the neck. People try and keep their neck down maybe so they won't be exposed. They want to hide their stuff. They don't want anybody opening their closet and looking at their mess. It is the world that we live in, the culture that we live in today. The problem with that, though, is this. We've got a human tendency to put shields up, trying to hide ourselves and and trying to hide all the negative stuff about us and trying to ignore that it's not there. We've got a tendency to be defensive and put a shield up, but God's word pierces right straight through the shield. And God's word exposes who we are. That's not to say that People then give in and admit there is a God. Many do, but others just stuff it down. They pretend and ignore what they know deep down in their heart, and that is that they've got a problem and they're a sinner and they can't fix it and they can't change themselves. They've got a problem that they can not fix, but rather than admit they're sinners and rather than believe there's a real God that loved them enough to send Jesus to die on the cross, rather than trusting Christ for salvation, they continue to live in denial so they have this gaping wound in their soul that just lies open all the time. Which brings us to the third question this morning. God's analogy, God's diagnosis is that we're all sinners and we can't save ourselves, we can't fix ourselves. God wants to take his word, if we'll allow him to, like a surgical instrument and expose the problems that we have so we're self-aware of who we are before God. But the last question is this, are, are you ready for Jesus to make you whole? Are you ready for, for God to make you whole? Are you willing to stay on the surgery table? You've heard the diagnosis as exploratory surgery, there's a problem there. God's words exposed it. it, God's words cut you open and exposed that you have a problem, but are you willing to stay on the table and let Jesus fix you? As I said at the beginning of the message, some of you will think, well, this isn't really the traditional Easter message, and no, it's not, and I think sometimes that's a good thing. I think some people come on uh, Easter and Christmas just prepared to hear something, and then they hear something else that catches them off guard. A pastor friend of mine years ago was preaching through Revelation, and on Easter he preached about the resurrection of the devil. (laughs) Probably caught a lot of people off guard that Sunday. But I hope you'll understand that this is very much an Easter message. And I think God really intended for us to finish up this series today. Because you see, this Bible is what tells us about Jesus. It tells us He came virgin born into this world, that He lived a sinless, perfect life. And that He, at the pre-appointed time that God had set in the history of all mankind, went to the cross and shed His blood on the cross as full payment for my sin and for your sin.
And that he took his life back up that we celebrate today on this Resurrection Sunday. He took his life back up to show that he had paid everything necessary. That he had done everything necessary for us to have eternal life. And because he lives, we can live forever also if we trust in him and his finished work. I think it's really appropriate for us to finish up this series and to finish up here on this Sunday, recognizing that God's Word's a scalpel, God's Word's an x-ray. It it, it exposes us, it lays our intentions out before God. And we need to make the decision to let God finish the work, let Him finish the surgery. Let me put it like this. What reason is this serious? What good is it for us? What good is a logical reason to believe the Bible if you don't apply the Bible to your life? What good is an historical reason, all the archaeological evidence, all the prophecies being fulfilled? What good is it to believe that Jesus believed the Bible the Old Testament? What good is it to be convinced by the specific order of the universe that screams out there must be a creator? What good is it to know that God himself providentially provided the canon of Scripture? What good is all that we've studied in this series unless you are willing to allow the Word of God to change your life. The Word is Billy. Application. (laughs) What good is it for us to know all this if we don't apply it to our lives? So we need to keep reading in Hebrews. Because verse 14 through 16 tells us this. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I want to apply that to believers to begin with. Because, you see, Hebrews was written to Jewish believers. And and we need to understand, as, as the writer of Hebrews tells us about our high priest, he's reminding us what Jesus did for us. Jesus was our high priest and our sacrifice rolled into one. Jesus willingly offered himself as the high priest and the sacrifice nailed to the cross for our sins. And we, especially on Easter Sunday, but don't just do it at Easter and Christmas. You need to do it all the time. But we need to have wake-up calls in times like this to where we ask ourselves, are, are we holding to the confession of faith like we ought to as a believer? You have a high priest who understands everything that you've gone through. And in terms of believers, when it says, let us approach the throne for mercy and grace, I think here's what it's telling us as far as believers. We've experienced the grace of God for salvation, but when we face temptation, when we're going through difficulties in our life, we need to remember we've got access to the throne. And we need to go there for the help that we need. But for unbelievers, you also need to hear that same message. Jesus didn't carry a lamb to an altar. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was nailed to the cross 
and died as your substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus died in your place. Listen to the story. Matthew 27. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And here's what he said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to know what was taking place? The sin of all mankind was placed upon Jesus. That's why he was wrestling so in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that was going to happen. And he knew for the first time that he would experience separation between himself and his Father when all of the sin of all mankind was placed upon him. And the Father hid that in the darkness as Jesus had all the sin of all mankind placed upon him. And he shed his blood for us. John chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the Scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. They put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said it was finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Matthew tells us this. Matthew is a little bit more descriptive. He says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So here's what I believe. I believe that that time right before Jesus died, after he knew everything had been fulfilled, he didn't just say it is finished. He said with a loud voice, it is finished. And he bowed and willingly gave up his spirit. No one killed him. But Jesus didn't stay dead. (laughs) Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. By the way, not to let Jesus out. It was to let them in to look around. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Those highly trained centurion soldiers fainted away when they saw what happened. Some people try and say, well, the disciples stole his body. You have a bunch of ragtag fishermen go up against highly trained centurion soldiers. It would be like sending some of us up against the Navy SEALs to take a body out of a tomb. That didn't happen. He took his life back up. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. You ready for this on Easter Sunday? He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Amen. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. That's why it's important to believe this book. Because this book tells you that. It's not fun to be cut by the scriptures. It's not fun to, to be laid bare before God and have all of our junk exposed. He already knows about it, but he wants to expose it so we recognize it. That's what this word does if we allow it to. The culmination of everything we've studied, everything you've read over these seven weeks, everything that's been preached these seven weeks, Everything you've discussed in your small groups these seven weeks is to get us to this point. Because the most important reason to believe the Bible is a very personal reason. God's Word changes lives. Can I come back to the original question? Have you allowed the Bible to change your life? Are you in agreement with what the Bible says, that you're a sinner and that you cannot save yourself? Will you admit that the Bible, like God's x-ray, shows you who you are? I know you're trying to ignore it if you're not a Christian. I know you don't want to, because it kind of hurts and, you know, it hurts your feelings and your pride and everything to say that that you are a sinner. But the truth of the matter is we all are. And some of you will will stand back sometimes, I think, and maybe stand distance from trusting in Jesus because you think, well, man, Jesus, I mean, if he's really who he is, I just don't know if I can approach him. But we read in Hebrews a moment ago that he was tempted just like you were tempted. In other words, Jesus understands. Don't, Don't let the devil tell you this morning that that Jesus doesn't know about you. He don't know about your life. He don't understand what you've gone through. He was tempted in every way that any of us can be tempted, yet without sin. That's what qualified him to be the Savior. No sin. And because of what Jesus did for us, we can boldly approach the throne because of the shed blood of Jesus. No matter who you are and what you've done, Jesus stands with open arms and he begs you to come and you can boldly approach the throne of God and find mercy and grace and forgiveness. Jesus screamed out, it is finished. And I didn't deal with what that meant then because I wanted to do it now. Most of you know that's been around here very long. You know that's my favorite phrase because it's right here. I have the Greek word tetelestai on a cross. Well, how dare you as a preacher get a tattoo? Well, I, I was already messed up before I got the tattoo. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I wanted the word tetelestai there because I wanted people every now and then, and they do it more often than you'd realize. To look at that word and say, what does that word mean? And when they do, that throws open the door for me to say, in my mind, you asked for it, here it is. It means that when Jesus died on the cross, he 
paid in full once for all, forever. Everything that needs to take place for you to be forgiven of your sin. Jesus paid the full price. When Jesus yelled out it was finished that day, he used that word tetelestai. And especially all the religious people in the crowd understood what he was saying. That's why some of the high priests that were there and the Jews got so angry and so mad. Because when Jesus said tetelestai and bowed his head, Jesus was saying, I've done everything necessary. I've paid in full. This is exactly all that needs to take place for salvation's plan. It was used in that day and time at the marketplace. If you're bartering with someone like they do in their culture in the marketplace and you're trying to barter and pay for whatever object you're buying and you'd keep bartering and paying until the merchant would say, Tetelesti, you've paid enough. It was also used in the marketplace when an artist was out doing a, a sculpture or a painting and he would finish it and, and he would use that same word. I, I finished that work. It's completely done. And it was used when people would bring a sacrificial lamb to the high priest and they would put their hand on the head of the high priest and say, Tetelestai. And what they were saying is, this is payment for my sin. And the religious crowd knew that and they were terribly upset beside them when Jesus screamed out, it is finished because Jesus was saying, I have paid everything necessary forever for you to be saved. And while that's great news, it comes down to this. You have to apply it. You have to trust in that by faith. What a great day to do that if you've never done so on Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.